Hello, everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Friday, April 24th. I hope everyone is having a great uh, Friday as we kind of get through the pandemic uh, situation. Um, you know, the light is getting brighter and brighter. You know, it's still going to be uh, two or three weeks for many states, but I think we are making progress. And uh, on the news just a few minutes ago, I actually just saw a shot of stores Will, you'll be able to comment on this in Dallas of all places. And yeah. I actually, I actually saw people walking into into little stores on on some street in Dallas. I imagine it's in downtown Dallas. But uh, hopefully, things are coming back to life. And I've got a couple of uh, great colleagues of mine on the podcast today. Uh, I've got Will Townsend, who you've heard from before. Will, introduce yourself. Hey, Mark. Uh, glad to be here. I cover networking infrastructure for the firm. And I'm very excited, and, uh, and I, I think it's super duper to have um, one of my other colleagues, Anshel Sag, on the line. Anshel had his own you know, uh, specific bout with uh, the coronavirus and uh, went through a bit of a rough period, but he has recovered, or he's on the road to recovery, and we're excited and so glad that he's back uh, in action. So, uh, Anshel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me again. Um, I uh, cover a lot of things for the firm, mostly mobility for PCs and smartphones. I also cover AR, VR, and 5G. Great. And I think most people know that I cover all the smart home, home office, uh, doing a lot more work at home stuff because it's kind of crossover with some of the other categories uh, the folks on our team covers. Gaming, gaming's actually, uh, we've seen a bit of a resurgence with gaming over the past um, four or five mm -hmm. weeks because that's what everybody's doing. And I've got security as well. So with that, uh, you know, let's just talk about some of the topics that are near and dear to our heart that's happened over the last week because, you know, the, you know, pandemics may happen, and, but the world doesn't stop and technology continues to march on. And, um, you know, one topic I would like to talk about it because I know a couple of my colleagues will have some commentary on it is, uh, you know, Apple announced their um, uh, new SE phone, the new low-cost phone, a couple of weeks ago. And it actually, I, began, I think it began shipping. Uh, it's available today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a lot of people started uh, getting it yesterday. Yes. So, uh, Ansha, let me tee that up for you. What's your thoughts on it? I mean, my, my, my impression, my one impression, and I'd love to give your view on this, is that they're using a very high-powered ASIC uh, in yeah. this. They're, they're, not, they're not chintzing on the performance side, which I thought was an, an interesting move, as this is kind of Apple's value phone. But uh, what's your perspective? So they've always kind of overpowered the SE phones. The previous SE phone um, was a much more powerful SOC than it needed to be for the form factor, um, the resolution. It was very overpowered, but as a result, you know, um, that phone had a lot of longevity in terms of use. And I think you're going to see a lot of that, you know, um, happening again with this new SE phone. I think if you look at people who have SE phones, they're already the kind of people that are more likely to hold on to a phone for a long time. Mm -hmm. So um, the way I look at it is um, it's a value device um, that's targeted towards a value consumer who doesn't particularly care that much about their phone, but doesn't want a phone that runs slowly. Um, mm -hmm. And having an SE that has a very overpowered processor means that um, as subsequent versions of the iOS operating system release and new software features are come out, it doesn't necessarily bog down the device to the point where it feels slow. Um, right. And because of that, the SE is a really great device um, and it, it hits a very specific type of consumer. Um, that said, my perspective on the, the SE is it's a great value product for people in the U.S. 
Um, but if you look at the pricing in other regions, because of the way um, you know taxes, uh, import duties, and all these other things work out, they're not as much of a value play um, compared to other manufacturers mm-hmm. in those markets. So you know, like a four hundred, like you know, four hundred dollars in the U.S. translates to four hundred pounds in the U.K., which is more like six hundred dollars, and that's not really that much of a value device. Um, and then you look in places like India. And, um, you know, they're also going to have a higher price than in the U.S. And as a result, there's a bunch of other devices in India that are way more competitive and actually have way more features. That said, the SoC is still faster. But, you know, if you look at a smartphone today, most people don't focus on what the SoC is. They care about the entire experience, which includes connectivity, screen size, design, um, you know, image quality, resolution, all these factors play in, in addition to the SOC. And um, I just think that uh, the SE is a great device, but I'm not particularly sure it's going to do as well internationally as it will in the U.S. And why do you believe that? Do you believe it because just... uh, There's much more competition in other regions for that, that price category. The U.S. has not you know, the U.S. is definitely a much more premium-focused market. market. That's correct, right. And, be, and, because, and that's why Apple does so well here. Um, but if you look at other markets in the world, that mid-tier is much more relevant. Um, and the SE is supposed to be competitive there. Um, but the thing is, is that the SE has way more competition abroad in that category. Yeah, and, and I think the point you made about future-proofing is a big one because, you know, we, Apple's having their big WWDC event, virtual event for the first time in their history um, uh, next month. And, uh, uh, and that will be very interesting because there's lots of rumors flying all over the place about what iOS 14 is going to look like, but it's probably going to require a lot of horsepower. And uh, I think uh, you're right, uh, Anshel. I think, you know, recommending a phone to, uh, to someone like that uh, and having the latest ASIC you know, comes in very, very handy, especially if you anticipate upgrading, which, by the way, you know, one of the things that Apple enjoys more than just about any other smartphone, uh, smartphone manufacturer is their user base tends to op- uh, upgrade to their current operating system en masse. It's not like Android where a lot of people, you know, sometimes stay with older versions of software. But with Apple, um, you know, it's not unusual for 90% of the customer base to upgrade. So having the latest um, um, ASIC is, the, uh, is a big deal. Uh, Will, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, actually, uh, a good friend of mine, Heather, had asked, you know, my opinion on, you know, whether she should consider the SE or uh, the iPhone, you know, the standard iPhone. And, you know, from my perspective, I mean, it's definitely a budget phone. It's that smaller screen size that's not, you know, abundantly appealing to me. But, you know, for a value conscious, you know, buyer that's just looking for something that's going to provide, you know, good basic utility, I think it's a great solution. Um, Still waiting for 5G, um, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, Apple has some other issues and other yep. fish to fry when it comes to that. But, uh, but I think on the surface, it's, you know, for the, for the price point, right, I think it starts at 399 I think it's a great value for the dollar. That, that actually could be, you know, there was a very famous play um, from like 50 years ago called Waiting for Godot. Maybe this could be Waiting for 5G. <laughs> um, and, yep. you know, and, there, and, there, and, you know, I'd like to get Anshel's point of, point of view on this because, you know, there are rumors, who knows what the heck is accurate or not, that Apple, you know, may end up delaying their launch, their 5G launch into early next year. There's kind of rumors saying, no, they're going to still launch in the September timeframe. Um, Anshel, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know, you know, rumors are rumors, but do you think Apple, uh, if you had to bet money, if you were a betting man, you know, um, what, what would you bet? So I'll tell you one, I'm not a betting man. 
Two, I, I think, honestly, it's almost impossible to predict. Um, the reason why I say that is primarily because the way Apple's development cycle works, which I'm pretty familiar with, and takes a long time for um, this product to get ramped up. And mm -hmm. right now, as China has been locked down and as we are locked down and no one is traveling, there's a lot of engineers from Apple that traditionally during this period of time would be flying to China, Korea, Taiwan, Japan to straighten out all the production pre-production um, processes that are and issues that need to be resolved um, prior to reaching ramp, uh, you know, full volume ramp. And those people are not able to go to those places and figure those problems out. That said, you know, I think Apple is figuring out how much of that really needs to be done in person um, and how much can be done over video or over, you know, um, I don't even know, using an AR headset. God knows what they're actually doing. But well, that, that, that's a really good topic because the, the, a lot of people are not, you know, most people that are not in the industry like we are, you know, Apple has been working on this phone for over a year, you know, and, and, and you're right, as they get closer to production, normally there would be, and I'm, we're talk, not talking about 20 people, we're talking about hundreds of people from Apple would be in Asia right now at various mm -hmm. points of the supply chain, you know, making sure that all the kinks are worked out because that's the way, you know, Apple, that's why they have such superb supply chain continuity. Um, the interesting thing is, and this just occurred to me, is that, you know, as, as most people know, Apple is a highly, highly secure, close to the best company when it comes to, you know, pr taking prototypes out of Apple, taking mm -hmm. prototypes out of their factories. And they're really not, there was an article written about this a few weeks ago, is even their work from home initiative over the past few weeks has been challenging because their IT infrastructure for people who work at home, it, it, it doesn't have the level of security it, uh, that Apple has in place at their Sunnyvale and their Cupertino campuses. So that kind of stuff might get in the way, but it'll, oh, yeah. it'll, 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 be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens here because I mean, I, I mean, all things being equal, I'm sure they do not want to um, miss a September launch, but at the, at no. the end of the day, they, you know, the, the one advantage they do have, and well, you could comment on this, is that you know, the 5G infrastructure still isn't there yet. It's coming along. You know, but it's, I, I don't think the world will melt if they're not there in September. But at the same time, I mean, I think, I mean, Apple does have a, you know, in, at least in the, um, in the, in the cellular space. I mean, I think they do have a bit of a reputation that, that you know, they've got, you know, Samsung's been out there for many moons so far with 5G phones mm -hmm. and, 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 and Apple has been, you know, vacant, you know, so do, do you, think, well, from your perspective, do you think it'll, it'll be um, dramatically detrimental to Apple if they have to push? Well, you know, that's been their kind of their mantra all along that it hasn't been critical because the infrastructure is not there. But, but as we move forward, um, that infrastructure is being built out. You're seeing millimeter wave deployments in major metropolitan areas and AP Mobile. Uh, Angela and I were just talking about this the other day is, is deploying in major metros. Um, so it's not a deal killer for them, but certainly it's, uh, it's sort of a saving face thing, you know, given that, you know, their biggest competitor, Samsung, to your right. point, has had a has had a product out there with 5G for, for quite some time. So, now, now, go ahead, uh, Anshul, go ahead. The one thing I was going to say is 
Um, I'm pretty sure Apple is not going to make a flagship phone without 5G when they do release a five when they when they do release their next phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, a delay for them would be more detrimental in the sense that they're not launching their flagship phone on time than necessarily the timing of 5G. They're already quite late. So a few months won't make of a, much of a difference in terms of whether or not they're later to 5G than they said they would be. I think the big thing is, is that, you know, I think they're going to have a, one, two, maybe three phones that are 5G that are going to be their big sellers. And that delay is going to be really what hurts them. Because if you look at how their volumes work over the course of the year, Q4 is their big quarter. And mm-hmm. Q4 is when the new, newest phone is hot. And if you shorten that time from September to December 31st, you've effectively shortened the quarter um, for Apple and reduced their largest, most profitable, most highest revenue quarter. That's right. the big concern. Um, well, and that's yeah, yeah. well, and you know what I would add to that too is that you know Apple is also let's put the supply chain uh, issues aside. You know the the the, uh, the new 5G flagship phone, whatever it ends up being called you know, that's going to be a $1,500 or more phone. And we're in the middle of a pandemic where, you know, we've got tens of millions of people out of work. You know, dollars are really hard to come by. And, you know, even if they, they hit it in September with a, you know, with a, with a, with a, with a terrific phone, which I'm sure they will, the, the challenge is, is that will there be people to buy them? You know, will people say, hey, you know, as much as I want to upgrade, you know, I just can't afford 1500 bucks right now, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, they've, uh, Apple's always been able to overcome that, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. they, they kind of pretty much invented the, that kind of that luxury class of phones. And, you know, I myself have done my personal research where I stand online. I don't order, I don't pre-order my phones. I stand online the day they become available because Silicon Valley is a great place to stand online at the Apple store at five o'clock in the morning. And the people that you listen to, you know, are, I mean, and we're not talking about people who make $400,000 a year. I mean, there are people who, by hell or high water, when the new iPhone comes out, they got to have the best. So you wonder if the pandemic and the economic realities that it's driving right now as we kind of get out of this situation, which is going to take some time, you know, will, will there be that, um, that, that, will that, it'll test Apple's loyalty. Maybe that's, that's a better well, way of saying it, I, you know? I, I think, you know, I went to school for economics and I really, you know, I really think about everything in economic terms. I just can't help it. And to me, I think the big problem is going to be, even if we reopen the economy, you know, relatively soon, and even if we start hiring people back, um, there's still going to be a lot of people that are still uncertain about their future and, you know, uncertain whether or not this, this virus is going to come back. And because of that, I think a lot of the uncertainty is going to really hold people back, even if they can afford it, from making that purchase. Because mm-hmm. fear is without the doubt, the most powerful tool we have um, in, in stunting economic growth. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's another, that's a different story. Uh, let's, um, you know, let's actually, it's a good segue to another topic I want to hit because this is something that Bloomberg reported on last uh, earlier in the week. And again, this is not a new rumor, but would love to get your perspective on this is that, you know, the, the vaunted rumor that Apple's moving all of their, you know, their Macs or iMacs, particularly their MacBooks, um, to um, their own ASICs. 
uh, either later uh, this year or ne or next <laughs> year. Would love to get your perspective on that because you know, it, 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 you know, what's interesting to me, you know, just speaking for me, from because I'm a I'm a notebook desktop guy, and you know, I I'm used to be a pretty hardcore Windows x86 guy, and you know, I've kind of you know switched to um, Macs purely because of the the content management tools tend to be a bit better on the on the Apple side. But the thing that's interesting to me is that. You know, there's tremendous, you know, cross-application support benefits if, if Apple can pull this off. I mean, the big issue you have right now is you've got the Mac OS ecosystem, which has their own set of apps. You've got um, iOS apps, which, you know, the code base between iOS and iPad OS are, are pretty much the same. But, you know, developers look at the world in terms of I have finite resources and I can't, you know, I can't develop an app for 18 different flavors of platforms because I purely don't have the resources. So if I'm a, if I'm a developer, it's obviously a great thing if they can, you know, um, standardize in a particular code base and a particular um, platform. But, um, but, you know, we still have, and, you know, Intel is still very much a relevant company. And AMD, of course, has come back a long way over the last several years under Lisa Sue's tutelage. She's done an incredible job over there. You know, you know horsepower and performance is still a big deal. You know, it's not, not that issue has gone away. So, I yeah. want to start. I want actually. I want to start with you. What you know? What do you think of the rumors? Do you think it's inevitable? And mm -hmm. you know, where, where do you think this plays out? You know, a few months from now. Absolutely. So um, there's not very many more people that follow Apple's SOCs or any SOC for that matter as much as I do. Um, and the the interesting part is, is that this has been a long time coming. Um, this has kind of been one of those perpetual rumors that pops up at least a couple times every year. Um, and has been for quite some time. Um, you know, uh, my perspective is that a lot of Apple's SOCs are actually more powerful than they need to be. Um, so I always thought that they were always pretty close to making it happen. Um, what's interesting is the current rumor seems to imply um, that the new SOC is going to be a eight plus four design, which means it's eight big cores and four little cores, which I'm not particularly sure will be correct. Um, just because if you look at the majority of um, SOCs that have big and little core designs, they generally have an equal amount or they have more little cores than big cores. That said, there is a possibility that Apple's design with the big cores is designed to compensate for the fact that it's a mobile SOC and that they are mobile cores. Um, mm. And you know, having 12 cores um, is going to be designed to, you know, load balance the uh, applications and ensure that there are, you know, there is no noticeable lag and that certain, you know, um, functions of the device and certain applications are mapped to certain types of cores. Um, but that said, I really think um, if you look at the way Apple's software development works and their ecosystem is, um, if there's somebody who could pull this off, it's them. Um, cause they have the developer base, they have the, you know, relationships with their developers. And I think that, you know, I really thought this was going to happen last year. Um, well this year, actually, I thought last year was going to happen this year. Um, mm -hmm. but, but the thing is, is that, um, it's still very complicated and it's going to take a lot of their developers to embrace. Um, and the interesting thing is that if you, think about it, it will most likely be announced at WWDC because they need the developers to start working on it now. Yes, I agree. Or next year. 
developers are going to need the heads up. No question. Yeah. Cause otherwise they're not going to have applications to do it. But right. I, I truly believe that, you know, this is going to be, and you know, this has been something I've talked about many times. I think the SOC is going to really come in um, at the low end on the air. Cause I think the MacBook air has been underpowered for quite some time. And if you popped in a, you know, a top end SOC from their phones, it would have had longer battery life and probably about the same or better performance. So I think the lower end, you know, the MacBooks and the MacBook Airs would really benefit from this um, because I think you're going to get a lot more battery life out of those devices and possibly even better performance. Mm -hmm. um, because you have to remember, Apple is designing their SOCs around their software and their software around their SOCs. When you put an Intel chip in there, they actually have to do more work to optimize the performance and battery life. Oh, absolutely. Because they've already yeah. done it in the phone and the phone is designed for battery life first. So I think... I think people who get these new, um, you know, these new devices are going to, um, with the new SOC in it, are going to be very happy with the battery life and hopefully the performance, as long as they understand that there's going to be still some limitations to the applications they can use um, in the short term. And it will only get better, which is funny because it sounds a lot like Qualcomm's Snapdragon on Windows situation, where you have a very powerful SOC that gets unbelievable battery life and has built-in LTE connectivity, which I think might be something that people could, could be thinking about with these new laptops. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have the same application base that a regular Windows PC with Intel has. And I think right. they're going to have very similar um, initial limitations, but because Apple has so much control over their ecosystem, I think Apple will overcome them more quickly. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think we're past the point of whether this is going to happen or not. It's really more of a when it's going to happen topic. And I think the point you made about, you know, the developer base is so important to Apple. They want to be able to get up on stage and say, hey, you know what? When this thing comes out, all the wonderful apps that you love, know and love are going to be able to run on this platform. Developers are going to want that because it allows them to optimize their, their development and engineering resources themselves. So I think that's going to be a big deal. You know, one, I, I do want to squeeze in a question for um, Will, because it was a big week uh, this week for earnings with AT&T and Verizon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, since you're our resident carrier guy, Will, um, yeah. thoughts, thoughts, especially, how, how, especially in relation to COVID-19, because there, I'm sure there's some, uh, there's some relationship between their earnings and uh, what's been happening with the pandemic. No, absolutely, Mark. Yeah, so so AT and T and Verizon both uh, both announced earnings this week. You know, T-Mobile will be you know pretty pretty closely behind. Um, in general, um, you know, the the initial quarter earnings were were fairly strong, but both companies have adjusted the outlook for the remainder of the year based on the, the uncertainty around COVID nineteen, and and that's no surprise. Um, you know, with, with AT&T in particular, I was impressed with their performance on um, subscriber churn. It was quite low, one of the lowest um, that they've reported in quite some time. And uh, their overall operating income for the quarter was near double digit. So despite all of those challenges, um, pretty decent earnings. Again, some guidance for, um, you know, setting expectations appropriately for the remainder of the year. Um, I am impressed with what AT&T has done to step up and be very proactive with business continuity. They offer a flavor of Cisco's WebEx. They offer a lot of other business services. And um, they've been a real leader from my perspective um, in, in this sort of this fight against COVID-19. Um, Verizon, um, on the other hand, 
um, solidarities again, uh, cautioning uh, future, about the future uh, and the impact. You know, one thing that, that that Verizon did report was a dramatic drop in uh, in device activations. That's no surprise. Um, they reported that um, over 70% of their retail locations were closed um, over the last several weeks, and and so that that's no surprise. Um, one one highlight with with Verizon that I'm impressed with um, is that they didn't uh, announce their intention to acquire Blue Jeans Network. So, like AT&T has this flavor of WebEx for collaboration with Cisco, um, they've acquired Blue Jeans uh, Network um, to uh, to offer their own um, video collaboration platform. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot of news cycles, you know, um, the three of us, you know, we've seen um, SARS, we've seen uh, the avian flu come and go. We've even, Mark, you and I were working together at Compact during 9-11. And, mm -hmm. and I think there were these short uptakes on video collaboration, and, and then people got back on planes and it went to normal. I think one of the silver linings around COVID-19 is that you're going to see some stickiness with video collaboration. And I would love to get y'all's opinion on this as well. I, 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 I absolutely yeah. agree with you, Will. I mean, you know, and actually one of the points I wanted to make is that Zoom, you know, with all its tribulations, because as we know, and, you know, our, our, um, uh, the, um, the guy who, uh, the individual who founded uh, More Insights and Strategy, Pat Moorhead, who's a good friend of all of us, of course, you know, I think he's right, rightfully taken Zoom to task on some of the security issues they've had and mm -hmm. now and uh you know they, and they of course kind of uh you know made some you know perfunctory statements they're going to they're going to you know address that area in a big way and they're, they're you, you gotta see, we'll see where the uh where that goes but there's no question that zoom which has always been on the bubble you know has really become kind of the most visible you know entity of video conferencing you know and of course that, there there's more there's more room in the market for the just one competitor like zoom there'll be others like mm -hmm. uh, like Citrix and, and, and others. But what I thought was interesting, and I made this point um, to someone this morning, is that Zoom is actually seeing not only an increase in just, you know, business-related conference calls, but even consumers are using them, using um, uh, Zoom, uh, consumers are using Zoom as a tool for uh, weekend and evening and family celebration activity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 used it, I used it, you know, for a, a group, Easter uh, get together with you know twelve of my relatives. Are all I did it for Passover. Yeah, absolutely. Passover uh, Seder. But I think the point you just made, Will, is a good one in that I think it would be I think it it would be um, short sighted to think that once this is all over, you know, and it's going to take some time for you know as as we kind of come out of this, work from home is here to stay, you know, and and because it's here to stay for a substantial period of time, especially for those companies that have not historically done a lot of working from home, they're going to, they, I am sure they're going to say, Hey, you know, we can save dollars from an optic standpoint on real estate. We don't have to keep building more offices. Um, we're actually more productive with people working from home. I mean, it's not all upside, but a lot of it is upside. And I, and I think that the work from home usage model, which of course we're all used to because we've been doing it for years. I think it's going to stay with us for a very substantial period of time, especially with mm -hmm. companies that have not been doing it up until recently. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Anshel. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I've been working from home for 10 plus years now. So for me, work from home is, is you know, normal. Um, but I, I actually think, you know, for example, I've been playing, uh, you know, board game night with my friends uh, once a week over Zoom. And I, I think that, um, 
there's going to be a level of stickiness where people want to work from home and companies are going to welcome people to work from home if they feel like people's productivity is staying at the levels they find to be acceptable. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing, you know, I've had a lot of conversation with friends of mine um, who, you know, have are new to work from home and are struggling with it. Um, And I don't think they're just struggling with it. I think their bosses are also struggling with it. Um, You know, previous to, you know, working for more insights, I used to run my own technology news website and it was work from home, but I had to manage a bunch of people who work from home as well. And um, certain, you know, work from home management, it takes a special style of, of management and it takes a certain type of person um, in terms of worker to understand uh, what kind of expectations there are on them and how much self-management they need to do. And when people are not, you know, able to work on their own and they need someone to kind of guide their work, it's much more difficult to do work from home. So I think you're going to see a mixture of people who are going to put in requests to continue to work from home um, for one reason or another. Um, and I think there's going to be other people who want to go back into work because they just don't feel productive at home. Um, but I genuinely believe there's going to be a percentage of people that are going to prefer to work from home because they never realized that they liked it or that, you know, they felt more, you know, rested or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think the real problem with short-term work from home right now is childcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I think a lot of parents are starting, I mean, I don't have kids, but I have a lot of friends who do. And a lot of them are really struggling with, you know, one, keeping their children, you know, fed and entertained and taught and all these other things um, while still being able to do their job during those same hours and do their job well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. something that, a lot of people who don't have children or maybe have older children are not really necessarily aware of is how difficult this is on the people who have younger kids and are still trying to do their day job. Right. Will, do you share that, uh, that point of view? No, absolutely. I do. Um, and, um, you know, as, as far as looking at the use case, you know, for this as well, I have two um, college age daughters and, I think, you know, this is going to become part of core curriculum. You know, you already have a lot of institutions that are purely, you know, online. But I think, you know, traditional, if you want to call them brick and mortar educational institutions, I I think you're going to see a tremendous stickiness there um, as well. Well, I I just think work from home is here to stay. You know, there probably will be hiccups along the way. I think the productivity stuff is there. I agree with with, – with uh, Anshel's point that, you know, uh, employers are going to want to see that because there's still this kind of perceptions of you working from home, you're goofing off. And I can assure you, at least in my case and in your cases, guys, that you're not goofing off when you're working <laughs> from home. But, and you know, what the interesting thing is, is we saw an example of the ultimate work from home last, uh, last night with the NFL draft. And that, you know, a lot of people were predicting that that would happen last night and there would be some technical hiccups given the fact that, you know, much of it was being coordinated out of the um, out of the different teams' home. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I, I like the fact that Jerry Jones was doing it from his uh, 
you know, hundred million dollar yacht. I thought that was kind of, uh, I thought that <laughs> was kind of cute. That's not flaunting. That's not yeah, flaunting. I, I, thought, I thought that was kind of cute. And, and it was, there was a hiccup as we were talking about before the podcast began, there was an NFL coach that apparently, and I forget who it was. I want to say Bill Belichick, but I know Bill Belichick would never make a mistake like that. Um, he had a whiteboard with all the, all the picks he was going to make throughout the draft. And apparently it was facing the camera. So, you know, of course, every team knows now what picks <laughs> this guy's going to make, and it probably hasn't changed. <laughs> but, but, you know, but uh, that, that's quite an accomplishment when you think about it, that a major event like that in the NFL draft has turned into a major event, that they mm-hmm. can execute something like that in a virtual manner. With, by, by the way, without a lot of complex equipment because we're dealing with, you know, 32 teams across the country that are in different places. Right. So uh, I, think, um, I think the interesting part is if you look at the draft today – Compared to what it used to be, um, I think a lot of players are are, are remote because they're not even aware that they're going to be drafted, you know, or or you know, they they're kind of just sitting at home with their families waiting to get the phone call. Um, I feel like it's kind of become a little bit more decentralized, which a lot of things have already, which is I think partially what has enabled a lot of these um, capabilities to quickly transition to video and remote access. Um, If you look at, you know, this crisis that we're dealing with, if it had happened, you know, five or six years ago, I don't think our economy would be, you know, limping along like it is right now. I think it would be much worse. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on that. Because we have all these technology resources at our disposal and, you know, cellular connectivity is Mm -hmm. pretty ubiquitous and pretty fast five years ago i wouldn't say it was um i think there's just really a lot of things that are enabling us to be successful in spite of the crisis um and i think that uh you know i was in the hospital for example and i was really sick uh, I didn't even think about using the hotel Wi-Fi or asking somebody for hotel Wi-Fi because I was getting 70 megabits per second in my, in my, ho- in my, wow, in my hospital mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of stuff. And I wrote an article about it if you want to check it out, but it, 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 that kind of connectivity and speed and all the software that I had running on my phone is what helped me keep me sane. And I think that's kind of similar to what we have now where you have, we're all basically trapped in our homes instead of a hospital room. And we have Netflix and we have all this content that's available digitally that it wasn't five years ago. People mm-hmm. would be going stir crazy right now. They're still going stir crazy, but at least they have an unlimited amount of content to keep them busy. So mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think this crisis could be much worse if it weren't for uh, the state of our technology today. Oh, I agree with that. And I would even extend that, uh, Anshal, beyond just the um, economy. But I think that you would not have been able to get the American population um, to, to do the, the really unbelievable job they've done. If you had told me, hey, we're going to take you know, a humongous percentage of the U.S. population and ask them not to leave their homes for five, six, seven, eight weeks without causing civil you know, insurrection, I would have said that, that's impossible. But I think social mm-hmm. media, t- the technology at home has made that all possible. You know, and so I think it's not just the economic impact we've taken. I mean, that's obviously a completely different dis- uh, different discussion. And I agree with what you've said. But I just think you would not have been able to get people to do this as willingly 
and as and as um, I, and I'll even say the word patriotically. Uh, patriotically, I think a lot of people th- thought this was their patriotic duty, you know, to stay at home and and try to contribute to bending the curve. And I think we've accomplished it. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, there'll be lots and lots of discussion on, you know, can, could we have done this in a different way? Could we have done this in, in, a, uh, in a different manner after the fact? But, you know, we'll leave that up to the, uh, the government and analysts and, and people to, to opine on that. Uh, but I absolutely agree with what you're saying on shell. The, the one topic I do want to hit though, before we leave, and it's only, it's a fun topic. And I just saw the notice of it before we got on the podcast is that, you know, as everybody uh, realizes, video game sales have been on the, um, you know, have been on the decline up until the pandemic for about seven straight months. And the reason for that, of course, is that, you know, Microsoft and um, Sony are announcing their new platforms, uh, their new gaming platforms in the holiday season this year. And historically, when that's happened, you know, you see this kind of rundown as people don't want to buy new hardware, they want to wait for the new stuff to come out. And I, I saw some stunning numbers before that not only was the last month a big month, so it, it tur- made that turn around um, it, it broke that, that losing streak, but apparently, and I think the numbers was Statista just reported, it's the, it's the best um, uh, month that the video, the video game category has had in seven years, which is, wow. beyond, which is beyond belief. I mean, that's, that's just an up. That's I, now, how, how long that will stay, who knows? But it's just, <laughs> a, and, 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 and I'll tell you one other story is, you know, one of, the, one of the clients we have, Marseille, who makes that really cool, M Classic, that video um, compression device that you know gives you 4K video on um, on console games. They've been their sales have been out of control, you know, and and and, and that the accessory they sell is a $99 accessory, and it really you know changes completely changes your perspective on a, on video game quality once you use this little adapter with an Xbox or a, or a Nintendo Switch Switch or a um, or an mm-hmm. Xbox. But it, you know, but you know, rising tide affects all boats. So it's not just the, the, the Microsofts and Playstations of the world, but the increase in accessories and games. And it's just amazing what a pandemic will do to a, to a, uh, to a product category, you know, when people are forced to stay at home, especially with their kids for an extended period of time. So I thought that um, was interesting. I was going to add some supporting data to the, uh, um, the gaming thing. So uh, back in February... Um, a lot of people are writing about how Steam had reached 19 million concurrent users. And since February, they've gained 5 million more. So they basically grew like over 20% in like a month. They were, they were basically at 24 million last, last month. So they grew 20% over the course of one month. And that was all because of coronavirus. Like it was, it happened in a course of maybe three weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's crazy because I, I never thought that that many more people would start gaming because it's people, it's not hours spent. It's people sitting in their chairs playing video games and that's just steam. That's only on the PC platform. Right. So no, you have to also consider all Xbox Live. And like, for example, I play Call of Duty Warzone. Well, I play Call of Duty and I also play Warzone as a mode. But what's really interesting is um, I've been playing that game since it came out and I've never had to wait in line to be able to play the game. But because there's so many people playing at the same time, um, I was told I have to wait in a queue until their servers come back online and they, or they have right. enough servers which is crazy because I've never had to do that with any FPS game ever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's nuts. There's so many people playing video games and uh, 
I spend most of my day on Discord talking to my friends, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the, the default gaming chat application. Well, I've also got to admit, too, that I, I joined my girlfriend during the shelter in and uh, we upgraded the Xbox One, bought a controller. I bought several games. I, I still haven't played them yet, <laughs> but, uh, but I want to be a gamer. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm ready to challenge you in Madden football. You know, all right, buddy. I'll You're on. Dressed. You're I'll, on. I'll say, I'll say that publicly. I've I've tried to challenge <laughs> on Shell at MVP Baseball the show, but he, he conveniently deletes those emails every time I send them to him. But uh, <laughs> honestly, I honestly do not play on my consoles ever. Uh-huh. I'm a PC uh-huh. guy. I know you're a PC. <laughs> you're a PC guy. I'm a Mac guy. You know, it's, it's interesting how that. Uh, that dichotomy happens. But anyway, guys, we're, this was a great call. I appreciate your calling in. Yeah. Um, uh, any other closing comments, Will, before we uh, get off the line? My only closing comment is uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll, we'll get through this together. Well said. Anshel. Um, I'm also going to say stay safe, stay healthy, and stay home. <laughs> <laughs> and play video games. And play video <laughs> games. <laughs> well, guys, guys, thanks for calling in to the More Insights and Strategy audience. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please follow us on our social media suspect partners at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, and until next time, have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.